Welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host in the studio today is Doug Wortham. And uh, in the, today's show, we're going to learn about the 34th Inter- Infantry Division Artillery and check in with the uh, Veterans Foundation that's taking a, a lot of time and effort to take care of our veterans. But first, it's time for, generally speaking, a weekly message from the Adjutant General of the Minnesota National Guard, Major General Sean Mankey. Our differences and our diversity are what makes your Minnesota National Guard team strong. Regardless of our differences in gender, sexual orientation, or identity, race, or religion, we are united in our service. What matters in the Minnesota National Guard is the content of your character, your love of country, and your devotion to serve the people in our state and our nation. In the Minnesota National Guard, there are more than 13,000 brave, hardworking, and dedicated women and men who come from many different walks of life. Soldiers and airmen of every creed, color, and background serve together with distinction and honor. Despite our differences, we wear the same uniform, serve in the same state, and salute the same flag. In the Minnesota National Guard, there are pilots and military police, mechanics and cooks, logistics specialists, and cyber experts. These brave soldiers and airmen foster a culture of acceptance, dignity, and respect. Together, we are a team standing shoulder to shoulder and protecting our great state and the United States of America, be it here at home, overseas, or wherever the call might take us. Our differences and our diversity are what makes your Minnesota National Guard team strong. Thank you, General Mankey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. So I said at the opening, my co-host, co-host in the studio today is Doug Wortham. And Doug, we got a heck of a story to tell today about something that they refer to as Devardi. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is, you know, what was once there was then gone and it's now back again. It's interesting how kind of the world turns. And Devardi has to do with the 34th Red Bull Infantry Division getting division artillery back which has been gone for a while and I know you know the two gentlemen in the in the studio today quite well would you like to introduce them yeah I would sure uh, love to uh, first we've got Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Kelly here who is the Devardi executive officer and we also have Command Sergeant Major Anthony or Tony Sintola who's the Devardi non-commissioned officer in charge gentlemen welcome to Minnesota Military Radio well, it's great to uh, great to have you here, and you know, as I mentioned, obviously you're both serving. You're a part of this um, diverty, diverty, and I just want to know a little bit about your background. So I'll start with you, uh, Colonel Kelly. Just give us a little bit about your background, where you came from, and what led you to now being the executive officer over at the diverty. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so career-wise, since commissioning, I've been a, a field artillery officer. I commissioned from the University of Minnesota ROTC. And then most of my career has been in um, what we call fire support. Um, so those are artillery officers that generally move with the infantry and armor. Uh, I've done that at the company, battalion, um, and brigade level. And um, I've also had some experience at the division level doing field artillery support planning uh, at the division. Uh, and then I've commanded artillery formations at the battery and uh, battalion level as well. Had a couple broadening assignments. Um, I was the aide-de-camp for General Nash when he was the TAG. I've been the secretary of the general staff at the division under uh, three commanding generals there. Did a little bit of production recruiting, and then um, um, I've also worked in strategic plans and policy and wrote some campaign plans for uh, two adjutant generals, General uh, Jensen and, and General Mankey. So definitely a wide uh, range of experience um, with field, field artillery being uh, really what your background is. Uh, Sergeant Major, what about you? Where did you come from and, and what led you into your current position at the Devardi? Uh, well, so I uh, started off as a 13 Fox, as a, a Ford observer in the artillery almost 30 years ago. 
That'd be 30 years next month, actually. Uh, and much like uh, Colonel Kelly, uh, I spent most of my time as a fire supporter uh, with the infantry uh, doing those fire support plans. A uh, little time as a 13 Romeo, which is a uh, radar operator, firefighter radar operator. Um, I'm full-time National Guard uh, since 2002, and uh, most of that time has been in the 125 Field Artillery. Uh, served as the Readiness NCO and a, and a platoon sergeant there, uh, and then over as a first sergeant operations NCO at the battalion headquarters, and now I'm the uh, command sergeant major of the battalion. Uh, the, the full-time side, I'm over at Devardi as the operations NCO, and I had just come over from uh, the division as the fire sergeant major there. Colonel Kelly, I want to take us back in time a little bit. Uh, things change, as we know, from the Pentagon and the DOD and, and what kind of war they think they're going to fight or not fight. And seems to me it was uh, 15, 16 years ago that uh, they changed things throughout the Guard and, and the divisions uh, lost their artillery. Uh, and I know some of the commanders that, that were there, like uh, General Trost, and, and uh, everybody always wondered, is that the right decision or not? But recently... Uh, the higher-ups made the decision that we need to get division artillery back to work, and uh, pretty exciting for some of uh, some of your predecessors. Yeah, uh, very exciting. Um, we, you know, the, the types of war we fought, really coming out of World War II, we, we saw that you needed the ability to amass uh, multiple artillery formations across uh, the front, and you had to weigh, be able to weigh a main effort. As we went into the global war on terror, we were not um, we weren't putting major formations into combat where you had to amass artillery. So the decision, you know, probably made sense for what we needed to do at the time. Um, but now, as we look at the threats uh, in the future, large-scale ground combat operations, uh, pacing threats with China and Russia, we have to consider uh, that we need that ability again to mass multiple artillery formations, which we don't have at the division level without a division artillery headquarters to, to manage that and plan for that. And so that's kind of what has driven the return of the division artillery. And Colonel, as we talked uh, off the air, the, the National Guard throughout the United States has eight divisions, and the 34th Red Bull Infantry Division has the honor of be, becoming the, the first Devardi to, to put back in action, and, and uh, it's under your watch that you, that you get to help stand that up. Yep. Yeah, it's been very exciting. They, the National Guard Bureau opened it up and let all the divisions bid and make the case on who should get the first one. Uh, we submitted uh, from Minnesota and made our case, and um, the Guard Bureau decided, yep, that's where that needs to go. So we, we're this year, and then uh, next year, Kentucky and Texas will start up. You know, and it's it's interesting— you know, on this show, we talk about just kind of the, the history and the reputation of the Minnesota National Guard as a whole, whether it's Army or Air. And I think just another great example of the quality of soldiers, airmen, leadership inside this organization where the National Guard Bureau would recognize and say, yep, you can handle uh, bringing this Devardi back into play and, and standing it up and actually setting the tone then for what's coming in the future. Yeah, and I don't, you know, we weren't in the room at the Guard Bureau when they made the decisions, but I, I can tell you that when we made the case and put the documents together and sent it out there, we were fairly confident that we would be a front runner for it. So we, we weren't real surprised when we got picked first, but we were definitely very excited. Sergeant Major, I understand there was recently was an event for Master Gunners and the troops on the ground. Uh, were you uh, intimately involved in that? I guess I was. So we had the fire symposium on this past uh about two weeks ago, and we had the Master Gunner event, and we brought in all the Master Gunners from all the downtrace battalions that uh, are aligned underneath the 34th Devardi. So we have uh, a battalion out in uh, North Carolina, uh, Iowa, 
Utah, Idaho, and then here in Minnesota. So it was great to have all those guys and to actually see uh, the faces that are associated with the names that we talked to. So, Sergeant Major, just explain for us then, what, what does it mean to be a master gunner inside of the field artillery? So we have three different uh, master gunners positions. There's a, uh, a master gunner who's in charge of all of the delivery, all the 13 Bravos, the cannoneers. Uh, and then we have a master gunner for fire support. Uh, so all the... Uh, People like me, the fire supporters who actually find the targets. We also have a master gunner for the uh, 13 Juliets, which is the uh, uh, fire direction. So we have three different areas, people who find the targets, people who process the missions, and people who actually uh, deliver the the, uh, the artillery shells to the on target. And master gunner, I mean, that's just not a title. I mean, you go through some pretty intense schooling for that, and uh, you become that expert, and people are looking to that master gunner to make sure operations are taking place correctly. That's correct. Yeah, you got to go down to uh, Fort Sill. We have the master gunner course down there. It's uh, two weeks now, uh, but it's going up to four weeks, so it's a, a pretty big time investment, and we just want to make sure that uh, all the uh, regulations and doctrine are being followed, uh, all the safety procedures and so forth, so we can fire safely and accurately. So, Colonel, I'm curious, uh, when you had the opportunity to stand up the Duvardi for the division, did you have the opportunity then to reach out and, and kind of handpick some of the people that were going to be on the team? Um, yes, I did. I, well, they, they definitely asked for uh, my opinion, and I got you know most of the picks that we, we asked for. I mean, sometimes it just comes down to availability and timing. Sometimes the guy that you want you know, just got another job six months ago, so you can't have him. But, um, and, I, and I think if Colonel Whelan was, was here, he would tell you that we got – um, tier one players across the board and standing up this or- new organization. It was important to the adjutant general and the division commander that this formation is able to function and, and does the things that he needs to within the division. So they didn't um, they didn't hold back in terms of who they put in there, except for myself, maybe. I, I think um, I had just been fired from all my other jobs, and so they had to <laughs> create a new position to, to fire me from in the future. There you go, yeah. <laughs> Doug, I'm, I'm envisioning a, a division draft party where they say, okay, we're setting up division artillery who are the guys we need so we've got the best team possible? Well, it's interesting because I've been a part of some of those planning uh, events. And, you know, you really do have to connect the dots, right? You don't want to, um, you know, completely upheave everybody. Uh, you need to have certain people in certain positions at the right time. And I think that's what you really try to do is is create an opportunity for success, not only for the organization, but also for those involved. Gentlemen, we have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about Devardi. It's the 34th Red Bull Infantry Division Artillery being stood up here for uh, for the first division in the National Guard of the United States, and uh, we uh, we'll be back with a lot more on that. Uh, please stay with us. This is Minnesota Military Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host Tom Lyons. My co-host is Doug Wortham, and we've been talking to Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Kelly, who is the XO of the 34th Infantry Division Artillery, and uh, Command Sergeant Major Tony Santola. Uh, who is the NCOIC over there. And, uh, Doug, a pretty interesting story. As I said at the beginning, the division lost artillery uh, some 15, 16 years ago, and now there's been changes uh, uh, out in the Pentagon, and they're going to stand them back up. And our own 34th Red Bull Infantry Division got the chance to go first. Yeah, you know, again, a great great honor, I'm sure, for the Minnesota National Guard. And, uh, Colonel Kelly, I want to come back to you just to get a little bit of clarification. So, obviously, the first uh, division inside the National Guard to field the Devardi, you held a uh, fire symposium recently. We talked about the master gunners that came in to spend some time with uh, CSM Centola here. But that symposium, is that kind of um, just to get things started? Is this something that's going to be uh, long-term? I mean, what really was the objective of the symposium, and what does it get for you? 
Yeah, no, thanks for the question. So, um, first of all, we, we did this symposium partially because our, you know, our boss told us to, the CG. And so, you know, you do, you do what your boss tells you. But it was an easy ask because it was something that we really wanted to do. And what we, what we did is we reached out across um, all 54 states and territories and into the active duty um, artillery community and, and told them that we wanted to start a professional dialogue in the National Guard about what division artilleries do and how to become better professionals as fires professionals. And uh, we got a much bigger turnout than we expected. We had um, participation from uh, Fort Sill, the multi-domain targeting center, uh, a couple of active duty divisions, First Army. And we just we had a day where we just talked about um, fires and professional development. We focused on the targeting uh, process in this case, but we also talked about um, force structure and do we have the right force design for the future. All right, so uh, definitely a good uh, stage setter, especially as you look at implementing or bringing to life this Devardi. So um, now you've got a, a you've got a good information from uh, all these other professionals inside the community. Um, how does that impact? Um, training moving forward and or the timeline you know so when are you going to be fully mission capable and is this symposium now as it set the groundwork does that help you to speed things up at all or, or what's the status of that yeah i think so so we get um we started early last year and standing this formation up and then we get three years so we're on a clock right now in three years the army expects us to be fully capable of, of conducting our mission so we're backwards planning from that time uh, in terms of making sure we have all the right people in the right positions and have all the right equipment in place so that we can go and accomplish our mission. And so you met, obviously, players from all around. And then, uh, Sergeant Major, you met with uh, Master Gunners, um, but also key players inside that enlisted world. So did you do the same type of a thing, or was it a part of the overall symposium where you can talk about that professional development, things that you need to know as a senior enlisted leader in the organization? Yeah, so basically we, we want to make sure that the different uh, downtrace or the, the artillery battalions within the state understand what the Devardi does and how that can further enhance their career, uh, how they can serve at a brigade level instead of just at a battalion level, uh, and what opportunities are out there for them and what the Devardi does, really. Yeah, because most people in the formation, I'm assuming, never had any experience with a Devardi uh, before. Yeah, the Devardi went away right around 2006-ish. Two and seven. So yeah, most most of the soldiers now, you know, they got in right at that time or or after that time. So they've never seen a Devardi. All right. So last question on the symposium, then, and then I'm going to turn it over to Tom. So, um, so sir, all right, inaugural event. This will be or what you hope to be a continuing um, professional development thing for the whole field artillery slash Devardi community. It it absolutely will. Uh, again, going back to our boss already told us it will be. So the CGs <laughs> already said this was a great event. You're going to do it again. Uh, which we're excited to do. I, I think um, there might be two, because I think one of the other divisions is going to take up the torch at the national level. Uh, that may be Texas next year. But whether or not they do that, we, we will do one in Minnesota as well. Yep. So, Colonel, you mentioned uh, the mission. Once you're, once you're through that three years and, and you've got the Devardi stood up and ready to go, what's the mission? What, what, what kind of capabilities do you ex- are you expected to have? Yeah, so we, we work for the division commander, and the division artillery's is um, responsible for the fire support coordination across the entire division. So we we look at um, the capabilities that the four organic field artillery battalions uh, have um, with some uh, augmentations. So we have about 90 guns in the division. Um, and how we weigh the main effort, how we place those uh, formations to support whatever the division is trying to accomplish. We also integrate other lethal and non-lethal enablers, so the Air Force. So we're the primary integrator for uh, what we say, Blue Air, Air Force, 
um, often attack aviation, and then other uh, non-lethal capabilities, which some we can talk about and some aren't appropriate. So, Sergeant Major, one of the things we've talked about for 12 years is training, training, training. Never met a Sergeant Major who didn't like that. We have an extraordinary base here in Minnesota, Camp Ripley Training Center. Do you have to do anything to modify the ranges up there so that Devardi can go up there and, and get their training time in? No, not uh, not for Devardi. We don't have, in the Devardi itself, we don't have any actual uh, artillery pieces. Those are all down at the actual battalions uh, that, that are aligned underneath the Devardi. Uh, what the Devardi does bring is a bunch of radars, though. So we have additional radars uh, within the Devardi that we haven't received yet, but we will be receiving soon. Uh, so that will help uh, find uh, the enemy uh, artillery that we are, we're looking for. So when you bring all of those other troops in, you have the ability to train right here in Minnesota. Oh, yes, definitely. That's got to be a big advantage and, and a good thing for your soldiers. Oh, yes, that really helps out a lot to have it here instead of having to go uh, numerous states over. It saves a lot of time and money uh, just to have it right here. And, Colonel, are we going to get the most modern equipment? Are we going to get some good stuff? Uh, yeah, and that's already underway. So our um, the battalion that Sergeant Major Santola is the CSM for, they just received the M109 Alpha 7 um, upgraded uh, artillery pieces. Second battalion in the National Guard to receive those. Um, seventh unit in the Army. Uh, so we, we've already started to see more advanced and modernized equipment show show up, and that, that lines up with one of our adjutant general's priorities, which is modernization as well. And, Colonel, I was going to ask you about uh, all of our listeners out there, uh, if they were thinking about joining the Minnesota National Guard. Sounds like this is this be pretty exciting to be part of uh, Devardi at the at division. But I'm also hearing from from the sergeant major that for, the, for any of those uh, uh, people that are in the battalion level, does this open up an avenue for them to move up and, and move up into higher ranks and, and learn more and continue their path forward? It, it does. Our, our formation is very senior, so there's a lot of um, non-commissioned officer positions and a lot of officer positions disproportionate than other formations. So I would I don't know the number exactly, but probably 60, 70 percent is NCOs or officers. So there's a lot of upward mobility with that addition of the Devardi. Big thing for us is we added two sergeant major positions and then uh, the the Colonel 06 position, and those are dedicated field artillery positions. Sergeant Major, it seems like all the artillery people we've talked to on the show the last 12 years, once they're in it, they want to stay. This has got to be pretty exciting for, for those NCOs uh, that are in all of those battalions for the Minnesota National Guard. Oh, of course. This is a great uh, great career development for artillerymen across the state and uh, outstate. Uh, so it's a fantastic uh, opportunity to have at the brigade level for artillerymen that we finally have. So, Colonel, we've just got about a minute left. Uh, for all of our listeners that are out there that are, that are thinking about it, you spend a lot of time in the Minnesota National Guard, so is the Sergeant Major. What would you say to those young men and women that might be thinking about artillery? Um, I don't know what I'd say to those that are are thinking about it because I wasn't one of those guys. I was one of those guys who wasn't thinking about joining the military. And I guess what I would say to those is uh, don't rule it out. Um, you don't know where things are going to take you. Um, I never would have... Uh, I never would have had any idea, you know, that I'd get opportunities to visit Croatia, Norway, Taiwan, Kuwait, Iraq, and do meet the professionals that I have. Um, and so if you're not thinking about joining the military, just don't rule it out and keep it as an open option. Sergeant Major, a little bit of travel involved even for the Minnesota Army National Guard, right? Oh, yes. I've been to Norway, Croatia, Turkey, Kosovo, Afghanistan, all kinds of places. Italy, Germany. It's been a lot of good time. And not all of them for pleasure either, right? <laughs> it's not just the Navy anymore. Join join the Navy, see the world. You can do that right here in the Minnesota National Guard. Definitely can. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you both for taking time to come visit us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you.
That was Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Kelly and uh, Command Sergeant Major Tony Santola talking about 34th Infantry Division uh, artillery on Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Magnus Veterans Foundation. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons. My co-host in the studio today is Doug Wortham. And in a moment, we're going to learn all about the Magnus Veterans Foundation. But first, it's time for Commissioner's Corner, a weekly update from the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs. Now, here's Commissioner Larry Herkey. At the start of the Civil War, Minnesota was the first state to offer volunteers for the Union Army. Ordinary men from Minnesota made an extraordinary sacrifice. Only three years after achieving statehood, over 24,000 Minnesotans answered the call to service. These brave Minnesotans oftentimes found themselves on the front line or the last to leave the battlefield. Minnesotans played a pivotal role and their service will not be forgotten. The Civil War changed Minnesota in many ways. After the war was over, many soldiers from other states were drawn here because of the Minnesotans they had met and the stories they had heard. The Civil War deeply shaped us and the 1st Minnesota Volunteer Infantry Regiment holds a special place in the history of our state. Thank you, Commissioner Herkey. For more information, please go to minnesotamilitaryradio.com. Doug, one of the one of the pleasures we get on this radio show from time to time is to meet with a new organization that's helping our veterans and helping take care of those veterans. And we've got an interesting one today. It's called the Magnus Veterans Foundation. Should be should be. We'll learn something good here. Yeah, I certainly uh, hope so, and I'm, I'm confident that we will. It's always great to hear about new organizations starting and, and what the efforts are and how we can continue to help and serve our uh, veteran service members in this great state of Minnesota. Well, we've got two guests today. One of them is a new one to the radio, and the, and the other one is an old friend. Would you like to introduce them? Yeah, absolutely. So first, I'd like to uh, welcome Jay Calhoun to the program. He's the executive director, and then also... Uh, Randy, Randy Tesdall. Did I say that right? You did. Yeah, absolutely. perfect. Uh, who's also a, uh, a veteran, Marine Corps veteran, and a Magnus member. So, gentlemen, welcome to Minnesota Military Radio. Thank, Thank you, you very much for having us. I think we should just start with uh, Jay right right off the bat and, and just learn a little bit about uh, you and then what led to developing, forming uh, Magnus. Tell us a little bit about uh, you and then what Magnus is all about. Sure. So a little bit about myself. I actually am what I would call a community advocate for veteran care. So I did not serve myself, but um, that's pretty much or some of what Magnus is about, which is it isn't just about veterans taking care of veterans and family members taking care of veterans. It's about the community rising up to do this. So we have a really strong mix of veterans um, that uh, work here for, for Magnus, and then we have a very strong group of um, auxiliary or, or other uh, personnel that that just cares a lot about veteran care. So. That's where I came from. I'm more from the social service field. So before this, I was at an organization called PRISM in Golden Valley, people responding in social ministry. Uh, we operated a food shelf. Well, they still operate it. <laughs> but, um, and then we also ran uh, the second or third largest homelessness prevention agency in the state. So a lot of really great work there. I was the finance and operations director there. And I found the Magnus Veterans Foundation a lot like how other people are. They come across it in one way or another. And when I did, I started reading into it, the leadership there with Dr. Alderman and, and the other wonderful people that um, founded it. And I just fell in love with what they were doing and, and I wanted to be a part of it. So I, Jay, tell us a little bit about the doctor and the fascinating piece of property. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Sean Alderman, uh, he is really our hero of our organization. He is a 31-year veteran of the U.S. Special Forces. About 20 years of that, he was a, a doctor or in a medical capacity uh, working with uh, troops on a number of different levels. He actually had eight deployments. I think it's eight. A lot of that as a combat medic. And at the end of his career in the military, he started working on a program called Preservation of the Force and Family. It was um, specific, you know, a couple specific differences in that program versus other programs that they've seen in the military is it focused directly on PTSD, uh, but as a curable ailment. So this wasn't something that, you know, we had to deal with the, your whole life. This is something that we can work with and, and you can live a healthy life while managing this. Um, and then the other was family divorce and family separation rates. Um, really high in the military, obviously, and the program was developed to bring in social aspects that can help keep families together and, and help reduce that. Um, he saw some pretty substantial results in, in this and in doing so, uh, really, when he was exiting the military, which was right about 2018, uh, that's when he came to the epiphany that we could do this, not just in the military, but we can bring this to all military branches. We can bring this to veterans, and we can bring this to immediate family members in the public, and we can do it in a nonprofit way. So Dr. Alderman had some really extensive experience taking, taking care of the service members and, and can turn that into the ability to take care of our veterans. Now, I understand he was presented with an opportunity for a really neat piece of property to, to put this foundation on. Yes, yes, um, exactly. So he uh, had uh, his aunt, Sue Rawlings, who uh, was not doing too great in about 2018, which is when he was trying to decide what he was going to do when he uh, exited the military. And she uh, was selling off this property and had it listed and everything, and she wasn't real happy with who was bidding on it. It was mostly developers who were basically going to come in and level out her family home and, you know, probably put monopoly houses all over the property. And she didn't really like the idea of that. Uh, so she was married to a gentleman named Vince Egan, who did pass away, unfortunately, in 2016. He is a veteran himself, Vince, and uh, actually is the creator of Sesame Street Live. So if you're familiar with the Sesame Street show that is at the Target Center and all these other stadiums all over the world, he is the one that came up with the concept of it. He went to Jim Henson and got the rights to 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 run the show, and that's how they made their fortune. So um, basically, when Sean was there taking care of Sue, he had the epiphany of, well, I could use this land to take care of veterans and their family members like I'm doing right now in the military. Uh, so we presented that to Sue, who fell in love with the idea. And in 2020, she donated the entire 37-acre estate to Magnus Veterans Foundation. Which... So what is the mission of the Magnus Veterans sure. Foundation? So our mission is to heal and honor veterans and their family members using a comprehensive approach of restoring the body, mind, heart, and spirit. And we do that through what we call our five-pillar program, which is modeled off of the program that Sean created in the military. In fact, the same people that helped him create that program flew out here and helped him create the program for Magnus. Um, so five pillars being medical care, mental health and psychological care, physical care, spiritual care, and social care. And we do all of that at no cost to our membership base. 
So how do you fund all of that? <laughs> that's exactly, that's my job. Um, so we obviously, we're a nonprofit, so we're a 501c3. We take donations. Most of our donations, about 95% of them, come within a 50-mile radius of Dayton. We have a huge amount of support through our individual donor bases as, as people in the area are finding out about us. They want to get involved. They want to help. And then also the American Legions have been uh, fantastic. The uh, VFWs, the Lions clubs, I mean, they've, they've been amazing, to be quite honest with you. And we probably are here today still because of the support that we're getting from those wonderful organizations. So we're very thankful for that. But, yeah, it's all community donations that run our programs. And we're very adamant that our members will not receive any charge of any kind for our services. And your website is Magnus Veterans Foundation, M-A-G-N-U-S, MagnusVeteransFoundation.org. Correct. So our listeners can find more information. Did you have a follow-up question? Yeah, so we've got just about a minute left here. Sure. And I'm just wondering if uh, Magnus has any type of an affiliation with uh, the Veterans Administration. Um, if so, what is it? Or how do you work in connection with the VA if you do? Sure. So we are a completely separate entity. So we're not connected in any way, shape, or form. And we like that. Um, we like the VA. So it's not, you know, nothing personal to the VA. Uh, there's a lot of great people doing great things there. But we, we don't want to be affiliated in a way where we have to report. Um, so that's very important to us. Um, our uh, member privacy is very important. If they want us to, if they have somebody they're working with at the VA, then definitely we will. But it's up to the member. It's not up to us. Um, so uh, really like what they're doing, but we see ourselves as more of a supplemental service. Um, we're not going to replace your hip, you know, but we're going to be able to offer acute medical care for you. Gentlemen, we have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the Magnus Veterans Foundation on Minnesota Military Radio, and we'll let Randy Tesdall say a few words. This is Minnesota Military Radio. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. I'm your host, Tom Lyons, and Doug Wortham's in the studio today. He's our co-host. We've been talking about the Magnus Veterans Foundation. Information on that can be found at Magnus, M-A-G-N-U-S, Magnus veteransfoundation.org. Uh, we introduced two people at the beginning, Doug, and we didn't get a chance to talk to Randy Tesdall, but I was kind of saving him. So now we're going to now we're going to talk about this Marine. Are you ready? Yeah, um, absolutely. I always love it when you get to pick on those Marines. Yeah, well, Randy's an old friend of the show because he spent, uh, what did you spend, 20 years in the Marines, Randy? Uh, yeah, 22 in the Marine Corps. And you spent more than that at the uh, Department uh, American Legion. Yeah, I spent about 23 years in veteran services after I left the Marine Corps. In the last 10 years, you were the uh, Minnesota Department adjutant. I was. Yes, yeah. I was, Tom. And had a uh, few little medical problems, and we're going to retire, and I might have known that you'd come back. You'd show up, and you'd be involved in something else. <laughs> yeah, you can't keep a good Marine down, right? Well, I, that's what I hear, and, and here you are today in the studio, and it's good to see you again. You're looking good. Thank you, sir. How did you get involved with the Magnus Veteran Organization? Well, actually, while I was still serving as the department adjutant, I was hearing wind of what was taking place and what Dr. Alderman was looking at doing. And, uh, and, and having worked in veteran services since the early 2000s up until 2019, I had the opportunity to see a lot of 501c3 startups. And unfortunately, and they worked themselves out, but unfortunately, some of them weren't in the business for the right reason. And they tend to work them, as I said, sells out. And I started watching what Magnus was doing after I retired. And 
seen that they were doing some really outstanding things. And I guess one of the things that really drawn me to drew me to them is that they were helping veterans as well as their families for absolutely no cost. And knowing the different categories and things that are involved in getting in, uh, into the VA and being accepted for a veteran at the VA, I knew there were categories of veterans that couldn't be seen at the VA because of either they had no veteran service-connected uh, disabilities or maybe they uh, didn't meet an income threshold properly. Um, but here was a place for those veterans to get some medical care, get some mental health care. Now, Randy, this, this doctor that runs this sounds like an extraordinary man. Eight deployments, I think I heard, and as a combat medic, he's got really good experience. He does. He does. Sean is, Sean is a great individual, um, very likable person, and, and he's a doctor. He's a full-blown doctor. He practices uh, with the Fairview Medical uh, folks, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's well, here's, amazing. Here's the biggest question for you. He's yeah. got all that experience. Was he able to help you? Well, he was. He was. <laughs> Absolutely, Tom. No, I uh, I went over there because I had some issues connected to my service-connected Parkinson's, and a big part of that is to stay active. And with Parkinson's, as a Parkinson's patient, they want you to always be um, big and loud. Talk about taking big steps. Marines and, don't have any trouble with that. Well, the loud part hasn't. Hasn't, hasn't been a problem, but the stepping, big steps, uh, yeah, so I've needed work there, and through Magnus, uh, they have a full-blown gym, uh, in fact, all day donated by Life Fitness, and they have the trainers to go with it, so I have a full-time trainer, uh, I see the gentleman once a week, I could see him as often as three times a week, I think, if I wanted to, but I see him once a week, and uh, we spend time together, and he puts me through the drills, uh, he listens to my complete medical history prior to starting out. So he has an understanding of all of my conditions, my service-connected back issues, as well as my Parkinson's and other things. And Randy, then, you're, you're looking better than you did the last time I saw you over at the department, so it must be working. It is. It is, Tom. Well, uh, they do great stuff. I'm glad you found Magnus Veterans Foundation, and I'm glad you're looking better and feeling better. And, Doug, I wonder how our other veterans find this organization. Yeah, that's a great question. I want to come back to Jay about that. I mean, how do you find those that Magnus is designed to serve? Sure. So the first thing we do is we collaborate with a lot of other organizations that are taking care of veterans. So we're always interested in um, working with other uh, legion groups, VFW posts, uh, you name it. Uh, To be honest, if you have a booth, we'll be there. Um, A lot of veteran organizations and trying to collaborate and letting them know about us. And then, of course, we get to learn more about them. And so um, if somebody is interested in getting more information about um, the Magnus Veterans Foundation, what's the best way to do that, and what do you recommend to them? Well, of course, the website, magnusveteransfoundation.org, but take a tour. So Thursdays, every Thursday at 11 o'clock, we have a a public tour, and you can come. We have tour guides and everything, and you hear everything about us, um, and a lot of our members start with the tour, and then when they come in and see everything, that's when they realize we're legitimate, we're boots on the ground, and we're here to help. What's the location? What city are you in? Sure. So we're located in Dayton, right on the edge of Rogers. We're right off of North Diamond Lake Road. In fact, we're right off of Diamond Lake. So we have uh, a boat 
uh, kayaks and other things for our members to use as well. Well, if Randy could find it up there, I think some of our other veterans can probably find it. <laughs> yeah. Had to drag you back into this. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there you go. Not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, any, we're just about out of time. Jay, any final thoughts for our listeners? I just want to say thank you to um, all veterans out there uh, for inactive military, for service, what you're doing. I uh, really want to say thank you to the family members of those active military and veterans and everything that they're doing. Um, and if you need help, want help, um, come by, give us a call, talk to us, let us know. We really want to serve you. Um, you've served us. Now it's our turn to serve you. Jay, Randy, thanks for visiting with us today. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. It was Jay Calhoun and Randy Tesdall talking about Magnus Veterans Foundation on Minnesota Military Radio. Joining me now is Marty Howes, who is the Roseville County Veteran Service Officer and the President of the Minnesota Association of County Veteran Service Officers. Marty, welcome back to Minnesota Military Radio. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. How's everything going out in Roseville County? Everybody ready for uh, Veterans Day coming up next month? They're getting ready for Veterans Day, and they're raking the leaves and getting ready for the the rest of the winter coming, too, because it's getting cold. <laughs> well, very good. Now, I understand that uh, your county veteran service officers, there's at least one in every county in Minnesota, are getting ready for some kind of a retreat coming up? Yeah, yeah. As we spoke last time on the radio, we had talked about our fall conference, and, and during that time, um, we go through a shift in our chairs, and we have districts throughout the state, and we have new representatives that come in, and, and we have this time that we take out at, uh, we're going down to Charleston Meadows out in Victoria, Minnesota. I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, we meet up there and take that time to get everybody, our, our new uh, district reps, acquainted with, you know, what they're going to do, what they need to do, and then we have some, some good education where we, we, we have some consulting tools that, that they can use to try to help them better, uh, uh, you know, negotiate their offices and in, in, the, in the tasks that are before them, uh, upcoming legislative issues, how to find laws online. Um, we're going to do a little strategic planning for the association and, uh, you know, things along that way, education op- options and, uh, you know, kind of how-tos and, and do's and don'ts and all of that kind of stuff that goes with it. So it's a it's a great opportunity to spend that time to get to know each other and then get to uh, get to get out there and, uh, you know, get their feet wet and, you know, I hope you have a good, productive uh, weekend doing that. Marty, you know, it's yep. this time of the year where uh, we're deep into the fall, winter's coming, that means snow, and it also means you probably got a bunch of vet- veterans that are going to be snowbirds and head south. But we had some recent legislation passed. The burn pit re- legislation is referred to as the PACT Act. It's pretty important if you're eligible for any of those presumptives, any of, any of the items covered in there, to get your claim started before you head south for the winter. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the biggest thing with that, Tom, is it it can be as simple as a quick little appointment with your county veteran service officer, and what you can file is called an intent to file, and that preserves the data claim, which that's the most one of the most important things. We want to safeguard that date. Instead of um, losing that time that you're spending when you're going down south, get in there, see your CVSO, and file that intent to file. So that buys you that time. So while you're down south trying to stay warm, uh, when you come back home, we can go right from there and we can get that claim in and we can get you, we can get you taken care of so that 
that you're you're squared away, you know, through the summer. So if they grant the claim, it goes back to the date you filed it. So that's why it's important to get that started before you leave. Yes, sir. That's right. It goes right back to it goes back to that date of when we did that. Yep. Marty, we just got uh, thirty seconds left, but for veterans that already have a, a disability rating, is it good for them to come in and, and review that to make sure that they're getting the benefits they're entitled to? You know, Tom, that's one of the most important things that veterans can do is when they get their their decision paperwork in the mail, if they haven't gotten reached out to by their CVSO, usually they have, but if they haven't, don't be satisfied with what you get or what your rating is out of there. You know, some some say, well, you know, I got, yeah, I, I got 20%, I got denied on this, and, you know, that's okay, I'm happy with that. Don't be, take that to your CVSO, because sometimes it can be just one little thing that's in there or just a little mistake that we can correct. Well, the bottom line, Marty, that. is go visit your county veteran service officer so you don't overlook anything. Exactly, exactly. Th- thanks for joining us again today, Marty. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate you having me. That's Marty Howes, the Roseau County Veteran Service Officer and the President of the Minnesota Association of County Veteran Service Officers. We're just about out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Minnesota Military Radio. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us this week. Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Kelly and Command Sergeant Major Tony Santola from the 34th Infantry Division Artillery, Jay Calhoun and Randy Tesdall from the Magnus Veterans Foundation, Marty Howes from the Minnesota Association of County Veteran Service Officers, Larry Herkey, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, and finally Minnesota's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey. I'd also like to thank our co-host Doug Wortham for joining us this week. Please join us next week as we talk about a new Beyond the Yellow Ribbon organization and meet our new VFW department commander. That's coming up next weekend on this station or online anytime at minnesotamilitaryradio.com. I'm Tom Lyons, and I hope that you make a difference in someone's life this week. Minnesota Military Radio is a production of iHeartMedia, the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs, the Minneapolis VA, Beyond the Yellow Ribbon, and the Minnesota National Guard. Your host is Tom Lyons, founder and owner of Phelan Partners Limited, a merger and acquisition advisory firm. Tom is a life member of the American Legion, VFW, Vietnam Veterans of America, and the DAV. For podcasts and the latest updates, follow us at Minnesota militaryradio.com.